right. Um, okay, so what, what I'm going to do is just kind of give you um, just a big broad picture of what we're going to cover tonight so that for those of you that are leaving, um, you, if I didn't cover that point, you know you'll probably be missing it whenever you, you'll know what to ask me for. You can look it up. We're going to do this on podcast. But basically, the premise and the reason that we've uh, done this workshop is at home, or this class tonight, at home, when, when I teach on intimacy, relational intimacy, sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in my hometown or in areas, we get inundated with um, husbands and wives as old as 77 years old going, um, what are you guys talking about? You described my family, you described my relationship, you described me, and we've done all these things, but we're still lacking what you just talked about. So can you help us? And I mean, imagine that, a 77-year-old couple calling a 50-year-old couple saying, what is intimacy? The kind that you're discussing. So what kind am I discussing? The kind of intimacy that after 31 years of marriage, marriage um, which I'll be 31 years on July the 12th, um, my husband still takes my breath away. He still makes me sweat. He still makes me blush down to my wrist. And I'm not, Sunday I was preaching, he was sitting in the back and I looked up at him to talk just a little bit about him and I got all fumbled and couldn't talk. It was a little awkward being in there. Yeah. Now, why, am I, why is that so important? Because for years I was told that you couldn't have that. That that was not a reality. That that was just kind of pie in the sky. That was something that didn't last. And that, you know, you'd have your honeymoon phase and then you just have to live out a commitment. Well, I believe the Bible is really true. And God said I could have life and life more abundantly. And that my joy could be full. And it also says in Ephesians that the marriage is a mystery to unveil Christ and his bride. So if that's what we're portraying in the earth, who would want to marry Christ if it's just just out of commitment? And so um, when I was 19 years old, I went looking for other women to teach me how to be a godly wife. And I am sad to say that I got a, a lot of rules a lot of manipulation and control. And it was all disguised in the Word of God. And so we're going to talk about the difference between uh, commitment and being moved out of passion or being smitten or having your breath taken away by the relationship. So the things that you do in your relationship is not a regimen, nor is it obligation, nor is it duty. When you have a duty, you need a bathroom and some toilet paper. Right? And so I'm not interested in a duty. And you can have your duty if you want it. I don't mind. If it's working for you, keep it. And I'm not offended by it at all. But it was, that was not what I was looking for. I wanted, my, my envision of, of me being married for my entire life is like I'm 99 and I'm trying to run from him and he's trying to catch me and I let him. What a beautiful picture. But I was told that wasn't possible. So I did. I went and looked and I searched all the different women and I found a lot of manipulation and control and again, using the word of God to show me how to do that. And I got home and I got on my face and I said, God, something's wrong. Where are the women of Titus? Where are the older women that can teach the younger women what you're talking about? Because no matter when I searched the scriptures, I read what these promises were, but I couldn't find anyone living them. Now my mother and father love them dearly 
And in my mind, as a child growing up, um, I saw a lot of, of passion and love and intimacy. And I don't, I mean, I never saw my daddy like French kiss my mom, but I saw him kiss her ankles and crawl across the floor and hold her hand and come up behind her while she's cooking and, and kiss her on the cheek. Just genuine, holy, precious affection. And then I watched the different phases that my family went through and, and the hard times. And I watched them before my mom died in 2011, them come back together and have another um, a wave of, of intimacy that was different than what I had seen through the years. I've watched other people stay, stay married because it's the right thing to do. But what I'm going to specifically focus on tonight is the fact of what most married couples are living in today and don't know that there is something else out there for you. So um, I'm going to talk about uh, the man's role, the woman's role, how we've lived that, and how we can overcome what we've been living that doesn't work. And the evidence that it doesn't work is go and look at the different marriages that you know. Go around and see how many you can find where the woman still buckles at the knees at the sound of his voice. And let me tell you, it's real. It's absolutely real. Now, Nancy lived with us for 30 days. Are we perfect? No. But we're perfect for each other. The land of Canaan, if you look it up in the Hebrew, means the land of humility. So if you want to be humbled, get married. That's literally what it means. Now, you have to cross the Jordan to get there. And that means the abyss, or it could also mean hell. And you got to get through that. But once you get there, the fruit is bigger than your head. What does that mean? That means you can't wrap your head around it. You're not going to figure it out. The carnal mind's not going to figure out the godly things. Reasoning is not going to work for us. That's where we've been. We've been working through the frontal lobe. We've been working through intellect, reasoning, tell me what to do right. I have had couples for years come to me and Michael and say, can you give us some steps? And I look at them and I'm like, so the 10 that God gave you is not working for you. What makes you think me giving you three more is somehow going to improve on what God did? It's not. It's absolutely not going to work. So there are, uh, whenever they would you know, press me to, well, just tell me something. I say, okay, here's three rules. Write them down. Hear him, hear him, and hear him. That really is the rules to live by. And so the problem with that is, not a lot of people actually can hear God in conversation. You guys, that's real. My husband thought that I was absolutely nuts. He even told me so. And I told him I am. And that if he found my brain, kick it down the road, it didn't work, you're not supposed to lean onto it. So I literally did have to lose my way of thinking, what had been deposited into me. But I grabbed some things that I saw in other marriages that I didn't want. And I went to God and I said, God, how do I not have this? And it wasn't easy. So I'm going to tell you some stories about my husband and I to show you how we got to where we are. Now, by telling you these stories, I have my husband's um, blessing. And he, when I, I, just the other night I was thanking him um, for letting me share his stories too. Because it's okay if I, if I share my story. But if I uncover someone else's story, that's not okay if they're not okay with it. That would be dishonor or disrespect. And for many years, Michael wasn't um, transparent. He didn't want his business being told. 
But after working with women for 25 years, and at least 8 out of 10 women that we have met been abused sexually in some form or fashion, he began to say, you know what, we got to do something. We have to help. What can we do? And I said, we can tell our story. We can pour our lives into other people. We, we closed our company. We quit our jobs. We, we gave everything up. We actually right now are selling our property in Mississippi. We used to have a very uh, affluent business that we made lots of money and invested in property. But we're selling everything and we're liquidating. Why? Because we need to get the message out there. And when people don't know who you are, they don't pay to get you there. So I've invested into to this place. Why? Because God asked me to. That's why I've invested. It's not because I, you owe me something. You don't owe me anything. God says, owe no man nothing but to love him. But if you believe in what I'm doing and you want to support what I do, that's between you and God. And I would appreciate it, but I'm not going to beg. My children never been left forsaken nor begging for bread. I had a lady in Ohio said, how many would it take for you to come here? I said, I would go for one. And the woman began to weep and she said, even if that one is me? I said, what if you were my daughter? I would want somebody to come. What if you were my son? See, that is what we should be moved by, love, not by whether or not she could get enough people to take up a big enough love offer and to get me there. I left there and I went to Buffalo and then I came home and then I got invited back to Buffalo, <clears throat> excuse me, Buffalo two more times this year and I'm going on and doing another retreat in New York all because when you go because of love, people want more love. They're starving for love. And we're starving in our homes. Between husbands and wives, we're starving for affection and intimacy and we have no idea how to get it. We keep adding rules and regimens. Now I'm going to start out with something for the men. Women, you will feel validated. Men, you will feel like, okay, this is something I might need to listen to. And look, if you disagree with me, I am not offended at all. Like I said, if this works for you and you want it, take it. If you don't think of it like a buffet. You know, if you like chicken, get some chicken. If you like fish, get some fish. If you don't like chicken or fish, just leave hungry. I don't mind. Right? But I'm not trying to shove something down your throat. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to offer you what we've discovered in our life that works after 31 years. That, to me, ought to say something. And I asked Nancy, I said, Nancy, tell me, you know, I let her see our dysfunction. I didn't hide anything from her. When I was going through whatever, I'd say, come on, Nancy, come sit on the back porch with me. Let me tell you what I'm going through. Let me show you how I process this. I wanted her to see how I process um, whatever emotions were going through my body because whether you realize it or not, the uh, scientists say that 90, a minimum of 95% of everything that we do flows from the subconscious. Well, that's almost right. They leave a margin for error because that's what scientists do. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible says that 100% all the issues of life flow from the heart. Well, guess what the heart is connected to? the subconscious. So the scientists are on the, in the right ballpark. It's not connected to your frontal lobe. Now we know that the frontal lobe didn't, does not get fully formed until age 26 or thereabout. That's where you have your reasoning, your intellect, that's where, okay, I should tell my kids, just think 10 minutes in front of your face. That'll at least get you through the day. Right? The planning, the perceiving, the Okay, well, last time I went this way and they had those yellow signs, I stayed in traffic for four hours. So I think I better pay attention to those signs. You see what I'm saying? That's your reasoning, your intellect. 
But that is not where intimacy happens. Intimacy happens in the diencephalon. It happens where the hypothalamus is, where the amygdala is. That's where your emotional memories are. As a matter of fact, the closest of your five senses to that part of the brain is smell. That's why you can smell a certain perfume and it'll take you back to grandma or mama. Or you might, or maybe an old girlfriend that broke your heart. Or maybe an old boyfriend that broke your heart. Or you could smell apple pie and it'll take you to a specific memory. Or popcorn or, or ivory soap. It doesn't matter what it is, but the smell is right there. The limbic, the limbic part. It goes right, right. If you, if you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth and you go straight up, that's where all that part of the brain is. And just so that you know, the heart actually talks more to the brain than the brain talks to the heart. So it's actually going on all the time. And in most, that's why it's, we're unconscious of it because it's subconscious, like subterrain or submarine. So you're not, you don't even realize you're doing it, but that's what's happening. So I'm going to talk to you about mine and Michael's, uh, some of our wake-up calls so that we, you can see how we woke up into this and you can find yourself in, in our story, if you can. Um, after 12 years of being married, um, I had found myself walking on uh, eggshells most of the time, and Michael laid them all out for me really nice and neat for me to walk on. <laughs> on a daily basis, he was very faithful with that. And uh, one day I got tired of walking on those eggshells. They, you know, were kind of crunchy and didn't, you know, especially if you broke one that he laid out so perfectly, then you'd get more trouble for breaking the eggshell that you didn't step on right. Right? And so one day while we were having our uh, disagreement, and Michael had never um, talked to me, that, well, I'll take that back. Our first week of marriage, he cursed me, and I had never heard him speak to anyone like that. And I had never heard my dad raise his voice at my mom, never heard my dad cuss my mom, never heard them argue when they did have any type of uh, uh, um, disagreement they would go in their room shut the door you could hear them talking but there was never an elevated voice and you would never dishonor or speak dishonorably in front of my mom my dad would stop it not even another man another man would not say a, a coarse jesting anything sexual innuendo in front of my mom oh my goodness like it was on you just didn't do that and if uh, my dad would always give my mother an opportunity to nip it in the bud first and if that didn't work then he would have nipped it but it wouldn't have been in the bud Right? And so um, I just say that to say that when my husband cussed me during that first week, I, I was like, what is this? Now, we, neither one, I was, I was born again. He had not got saved yet. It wasn't very long after this he got saved. But um, I told him at that moment, I said, you wanna, if you want to cuss somebody, there's a mirror in the bathroom. And if you want to throw things, you go right ahead. You can go outside. There's a really big yard. You can throw what you want. You can scream, holler all you want to. But you will never do that to me again. If you do, you will come home to an empty house. Now, I don't believe in divorce. Don't want divorce. Am I against divorce? No. If someone's abusing you or running around on you, you have a certificate. You know, get, let, let, if you're married to an unbeliever let, and he wants out, let him go. And, of course, if somebody commits adultery, you have a, a biblical way out. But, but, but divorce wasn't in my vocabulary. It was not an option. It's still not an option for me. If he ran around on me, I believe I would divorce him. But I don't know that because I've seen so many families heal afterwards. But if he hit me, like I'm not going to wait for him to hit me. He's a big guy. If he hit me, y'all might be burying me. So 
going back to the 12 years of marriage after that first initial thing and me walking on eggshells and doing it very well all those years, I got really tired of living in fear. Now let me explain to you why my husband manipulated me with fear. Because he was afraid. He was afraid that I would be the kind of woman that broke his heart when he was 15. So he was going to make sure I wasn't like her, so that's why I walked on those eggshells. So I was actually being punished for something I had never done. So we had this dissertation one uh, afternoon, one evening, and he points his finger at me and he says, Woman, I'll knock the out of you. And immediately, now this is the born again, two believers now, and that comes out of his mouth. And I just go to my bedroom, shut the door, lock the door, get on my knees, lay on my face, and say, Father, here I am. What? How do I respond to this? And he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I said, so Father, how do I, how do I, what do I say? He said, nothing tonight. See, that was wisdom. And so the next day when he came in from work, the Lord had already told me what to say. What the, what the Lord told me to say was, tell him the next time you are scared of him, you will pack your bags, you and the kids will leave, you'll go live with your sister in her upstairs room, and you'll scrub toilets for a living if you have to, but you will never again live in fear. Period. And I said, but God, what if he leaves me? The Lord said, what if he hits you? Because see, I had already vowed if he hit me, I'd leave him. But that's kind of stupid to wait till somebody hits you. Right? Like, that didn't make sense. Like, okay, beat me up and then I'll go. No. That, that, you, it escalates. It doesn't just stop. So, I told him that when he came in from work the next night. I had the table fixed. And I didn't stop being the wife that God called me to be because I didn't like where my husband was ever. I tried, and the Lord would woo me, and I would give in because Jesus is my husband, and he makes my knees buckle. I just try to tell him no, and it don't work. And so um, whenever we went to bed that night with the lights out, because, you know, we don't like talking and looking at each other in the eye when you're not intimate because that's a scary thing. And so I told him what the Lord told me. He said, Angel, I would never hit you. I said, I don't believe what you just said just now out of your logical mind. I believe what you said out of the overflow of your heart. And out of the overflow of your heart, you said you'd hit me. And I said, look, Michael, I'm not here to control you or manipulate you. And it's not my job to decide how you and the Holy Spirit work this out. If you want to go to counseling, go. If you want me to go with you, I'll go with you. If you want to handle it just between you and Jesus, do that. It's none of my business. I'm, I can't tell you how to live your life, but I'm not going to live in fear of you and you're not ever going to hit me. I will be gone before that day ever gets here. I won't divorce you. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for forever. You waited for me. And I'll wait for you. You're worth waiting for. I love you with all my heart, but I'm not living in fear. Not with you, not with anyone. Perfect love casts out all fear. So I laid in his arms and he apologized and asked me to forgive him and I did and he told me he loved me and we just held each other. It's a very, very sad, solemn moment. And to be honest with you, I don't know what he did. He never told me. And guess what? It's still none of my business unless he chooses to tell me. See, sometimes women are like, tell me, 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 tell me. Well, guess what? If they want to tell you, they'll tell you. Leave them alone. Men are not like women. They're just a tad different. So I never ask him, and he's never told me to this day. If he chooses to tell me tomorrow, great. But if he doesn't want to tell me, he can have private stuff between him and God that's none of my business. He shares a lot with me. But I don't know what happened, but for the next four years, our marriage was bliss. He, he learned to 
speak a language of the heart and of the emotion. And he and I spent many hours together talking about my heart and why was I scared of him and why did he try to make me afraid of him? And we discovered and uncovered all these dysfunctions that we were walking in. But what happened is we got in the heart. We started talking about the emotion and our fears. Well, after about four years, some, some other things happened. I don't really know exactly what all transitioned in his mind, and I'm not going to project what my opinions are. But I can tell you that all of a sudden, um, he went back to not being nice. And he would say things like, um, well, just think if you applied yourself. And I was running a very successful business. My first year in business, I made $198,000. My first month to bring in double digits, he said, just one of my checks was $15,000. One. And I did anywhere from one to seven loans in a month. Sometimes I did 15 loans in a month. And one of them brought $15,000. And he said, just imagine if you applied yourself. I'm thinking, buddy, do you have any idea what you just said to me? Now, my, my mindset for my job was this. If I could just make enough money that I can be a stay-at-home mom and minister, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to be the one that woke my husband up in the morning. I wanted to be the one to fix his coffee. I wanted to fix his lunch. I wanted to kiss him by at the door and drop my kids off at school and pick my kids up. That was my goal, and that was the kind of blessing that God put on my business. But then I, all of a sudden, my husband wasn't talking kind to me anymore, nor was he blessing me or any of that. But everywhere I would go, other people would say all this nice stuff to my heart. Well, guess what? If you're full, you don't really eat out of a dumpster or drink out of a ditch now, do you? But start starving for emotional affection. And guess what you'll do? You'll drink out of a ditch. And you'll eat moldy bread out of a dumpster. So we're going to talk about that for a minute. In the Bible it says, husbands, no, wives, give the affection due your husband. And likewise, this would be wives. That's why that word wives is in there. And likewise, husbands, the affection due your wife. Now, men, pay attention. Women, you already know this. To a woman... Sex is emotion. That's what intimacy is to us. You can't get to there without going through here unless this has been cut off. If it's been wounded enough and it becomes numb, then you can get to there through wherever. Manipulation, control, it's the right thing to do, you're supposed to, you're my wife, blah, 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 blah. But you're never going to really satisfy your wife if you don't know how to get into her heart. And let me tell you why. When God created a woman and in the womb, there is a direct nerve between her heart and her womb. It's the way she's made. As a matter of fact, if you look up the word heart and you look up the word womb and you look up the sacrum, which is the, la the next to last, well, third to last vertebrae in the back, it's hooked to the ilium. They all mean the same thing. They mean the holy place. The sacred place. The place through which all life comes. And so God connected those in a woman. That's why a woman needs the emotional affection that she does. And when my husband told me years ago, he said, baby, I'm just not emotional. I said, let me just tell you how ridiculous that is to a woman. I said, sit down. For you to tell me, a woman, that you're just not emotional is the same thing for a woman to tell her husband, honey, I'm just not sexual. 
I'm just not into that stuff. That's, that's just, it's just icky. Like, that's just not how I'm made. That is ridiculous. I said, well, guess what? You better figure out a way to get emotional. Because really, you have a stone over your heart. It's called a tomb. And when you roll that stone away, the resurrected Christ will come out. Why? Because the kingdom of God's already in you. So we began working on this stone. But guess what? Guess how that stone got rolled away? No, God didn't work on my husband. And he wouldn't hire me as co-holy ghost. I tried. No, God began to show me that everything I complained about my husband, I was doing. And I was doing it to God. And I was so mad at God. I was like, God, why is it that I'm the good one in the bunch of the two of us? I'm the one who does all this. He's the one that cusses me. He's the one making me scared. He's the one doing all these bad things, but I'm the one in trouble. Like, I'm the one you're correcting. What, what's up, God? I thought you were no respecter person. Do you want me to be a doormat? Like, how many times is he going to wipe his feet on me? And the Lord said to me, Angela, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm like, I'm, I'm not sowing that. Like me and you, we get along good, Jesus. And I began to talk about how, you know, all he wants is what he can get out of me. He doesn't want my heart. And God said, yeah, I know exactly how that feels. You want what you can get out of me. You don't really want to know my heart. You don't really want to suffer with me so you can reign with me. You just want to reign with me. I'm like, oh. 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 You mean I really don't want your heart, God? No, Angela, you really don't because that's where the pain is. To know me is to suffer with me. See, that is real intimacy. Now I'm going to get a little bit graphic. If you don't want to hear the graphic, you can leave. But the word hymen means to be broken. It means a blood covenant. It means to suffer. It's where we get the word hymnal. It's the same thing that was torn, the veil that was torn. It's the passageway to the Holy of Holies because everything below the belly button represents the, the earth. Everything above the belly button represents the heavens. So what do I mean by that? That which is seen and that which is unseen. So above the belly button is the, is the unseen. That's where my emotions are, my thought process is, my, my interpretation, my eyes. It's, you, it's not visible. You can, you can hear it, but you really can't see it coming out my mouth. It's the unseen. Below is the seen. So how does that work? My heart's a womb. It has to be torn. Circumcise, circumcise not your flesh, but rip open your heart. A true Jew is one who, has a, who comes up with a broken heart. And the word of God comes first to the Jew and then the Gentile. So when your heart is ripped open or torn open, that's when God plants the seed in you. So it's a tearing process. And when that tearing process is allowed and the Word of God goes in you, the Word of God manifests out of you just like a baby manifests out of the womb after a man goes past the hymen, deposits the seed, and then life comes forth out of there. It's the same thing. One is seen and one is unseen. Romans 1 and 20 declares this. Everything that is made reveals that which is unseen, including the eternal Godhead and power, and we are without excuse. That means you can literally see the Godhead, not in some things, all things. You can literally see the power of God, not in some things, all things. And God tells you, don't look at what you can see. 
Well, see, men, when, when Adam received Eve, he was looking at what he could see. And you understand that. God made you that way. You want to look. That's the way you are. But the reason that you're looking at it is you're looking at an outside source. The whole purpose of Eve coming out of Adam was to show him what he'd already looked like on the inside. He is a receiver. I can prove it to you in Scripture. The first Adam is a living soul. What does that mean? It means a consumer. It means a carnivore. It means one who eats. It means one who is void. And the God, the giver, the charitable one, charity, the giver, the gimel, deposits himself into the void. Just like darkness was upon the face of the deep and it was without form and void. And God said, let. And the light pierced the darkness. That's the very first consummation, if you will, where the two became one. And then God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and those two became one. What two? God and man. Now guess what? God and man, man is made in God's image. So let's talk about that a little bit. How is Adam made in God's image? How is that possible? Well, the word Adam is, is pronounced Adam, and it means mankind. There's a lot of different words for Adam, but one of the meanings is mankind. So inside Adam, in his total being, was male and female, and a neutral. What is the neutral? The potential seed that would come out of him that would produce either a male or a female. So he was a positive, a negative, and a neutral. A-D-A-M. Now look at A-T-O-M. A positive, a negative, and a neutral. You think that's accident? No, that's Romans 1 and 20. See, in Hebrew language, it's a lot of homonyms. The Hebrew language has depth. It has breadth. It has width. I didn't know this. I wasn't taught Hebrew. What little bit of Hebrew I know, I studied myself at the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. But I found out that homonyms are really important in the, in the, in the, uh, the parable, in telling parables. That's what the parable was all about. It was an earthly story to reveal a heavenly language. And the Bible says that God, that Jesus himself did not speak except that he spoke in parables. And in John chapter 21, it says that if all the things he said and did was written, the earth couldn't hold it. So see, we only got just a little taste of what Jesus said and did. So back to Adam. God created him male and female, created he them. So if God created Adam male and female, what must God be? Male and female. Now we don't talk about this often, but that's okay. That's why I'm here. There are people that God is revealing this to. It's like I'm not the only one hearing this. But why are we hearing it now? Because it's called the appointed time. The word appointed means female. It has the word point in it. The word point also means the word pierce or the pierced one. It's literally where it means the sword pierces the unseen veil. It's the S word, S-W-O-R-D. And so the word of God, all words, every word, every seed has a positive and a negative in it. In chemistry, it has it. In the male seed, when, 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 the, when the male deposits his seed into the female, the potential for male or female is in that seed. And whichever one survives and whichever the chromosomes are, it's already there at consummation, but it's not unveiled until much later in the pregnancy, which one it was. Until the genitals fully develop, they're actually neither male nor female until, the, until one develops. And it's either going to develop on the inside or on the outside. If it develops on the inside, it's female, that means receiver. Our consumer, or one that thirsts, 
one that, the one that's to be pierced, or it's the one that's going to be the piercer, the one that's going to be the giver, the one that's going to be the depositor. And every single thing in the earth, if you don't believe me, go study it. I've studied it for 30 years. has a positive, a negative, and a neutral. Why a neutral? Because all things are possible to them that believe. That's what the neutral is. The neutral means the child. So the first Adam is a living soul. You could put in that place of living soul, receiver or bride. Now you're starting to understand why we can be the bride of Christ. Because we're the receiver of Christ. So the second Adam is a life-giving spirit. He is the positive. He's the giver. He's the second Adam. Now when God created Adam, Eve was already there. He put him in a trance. It didn't say he woke him up. He took Eve out and he said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Go look up that word bone of my bone. It means to crush. You ever felt crushed in your marriage? Your wife's supposed to crush you. She's your helper. The word crush means to be made contrite. It means to be broken. What, it, what is being broken off of you? Your own way of thinking. The way that, um, I just found this out today. I'd never seen this before, so I, I may have to look at my notes, but I'm going to try to just repeat it as I heard it. I was looking up the scripture that, um, has God spoken it and shall it not be, Numbers 23? And has he, has he said it and, and shall it not come to pass? And if you look up those words, it actually means has he considered it or thought it? So if God just thought it, it already is. How powerful is that? God thinks something? So guess, who's, guess who was on his mind before the foundations were laid? You. And the thought of you takes God's breath away. How did it take his breath away? On the cross, I thirst. And he couldn't breathe. So the very thought of you before time began took God's breath away. Father, I will go and die for mankind that they could be reconciled unto you. So before, when you were, were a thought, in God's eyes you were just as much as you are today as you were when you were a thought. Why? Because God is past, present, and future. He is all time. God's not bound by time. He's not limited in what he sees by time. So when God took Eve out of Adam, why did he do that? So that Adam could see himself. What part of himself? The inside part of himself. Why? So he could see what he's really hungry for. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in you. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. And guess what all means? All. Wouldn't you love to live with no lack? Zero lack. Like as in there's no such thing as lack. You know how you do that? Count it all joy when you're in trials and tribulations because they're going to perfect you and bring patience. And then when you have that happen and you're perfected in that, the Bible says you will be lacking nothing. Well, guess what? I tried to do that. It didn't work. So I thought, okay, God, something's missing. He said, yeah, Angela, you can't do God. That's called idol. I-D-O-L. Elohim El Shaddai. So if you break that up into three words, it's I do God. You can't do God. Adam and Eve couldn't do God when they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, trying to discern right from wrong. And guess what? You still can't do it. You still can't discern right from wrong. If you don't believe me, keep trying it. Keep trying to do it right and see what you get. See if you have righteousness, peace, and joy. See if you have life more abundant. See if you have any lack. Because see, if, you, if that's happening, you have no lack and you cannot be afraid. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. 
The marriage is going to reveal this to you as you step into the fullness of marriage. So now that Adam knows what he really wants, the problem is when God said, Adam, here's your help meet. Adam spelled that wrong meat wrong. He thought he said help yourself to the meat. Now that's kind of frank and crude in a church setting, but you know what? We watch all kinds of crud on TV. You hear Christian women talking about so many shades of gray. I had a Christian woman want to tell me. I said, let me tell you something. I do not need verbal pornography. Don't give it to me. Not interested. So don't say this. No, I'm going to say it. And here's the why I'm going to say it. Because it needs to be said. When a woman feels like that the only reason the husband wants her is because of her physical flesh, something inside of her begins to die. And right now, every week, I work with 10 people. Most of them are women. And the husbands are coming to me begging, saying, my, I'll make my, my wife's skin crawl, and I don't know why. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything she said. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Tell me what to say, and I'll say it. Well, you know what? The, the Israelites said that to God in the wilderness, and God said, don't come near the mountain. Don't touch it. At least you die. You ever said that to your wife? Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Tell me what to say, and I'll say it. And she said, don't touch me. You're going to die if you touch me. See, she got that from her father. The reason is because God wanted relationship. He said, just hear me intelligently. I delivered you before and I'll deliver you again. Christ thou unto me, Moses, speak. See, we keep trying to do something. Michael asked me that, baby, what you want me to do? I'm like, I want you to give me your heart, the drippy thing inside of you. Like, gut it out and let me have it. Baby, you can't have all of it. A man won't give you all of his heart. I said, you know why? Because you're scared. You're scared I'm going to hurt you. He said, you dang right I am. Everybody else hurts me. I said, so, you know, you can't get to this without this, and you want me to give you this, but you can't give me your heart? Something's wrong with that picture. So, let's back up and show you how I got all messed up in thinking that my husband was the one that was going to fulfill me. Same thing that happened to Eve. Eve saw that the fruit was good. Now, how could she see that? If it, was the knowledge of, if it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she couldn't have the knowledge of good and evil unless she had done what? Eaten from it. Because she hadn't tasted that yet. So she had to have eaten it and saw that it was good and then she did give it to her husband. So why did Eve see that it was good but not see she was naked? I got the answer because I asked God that. I said, God, how come, how come they didn't see they were naked until after? Because if you look up the word naked, it means lack or cunning or crafty. It doesn't just mean naked. It has a lot more meaning to it. And he said, Angel, the reason Eve saw that it was good is she's a negative. Negative can only receive a positive. Go look at a magnet. And, and Adam saw the negative because he's a positive. And when they both came together, and they, then they both could see both, both good and evil. But just like an atom, an A-T-O-M, that's how the A-D-A-M works. Does that make sense? She was a, she's a negative. She's a receiver. So when she ate the fruit, she saw the positive in it. When he ate the fruit, he saw they were naked. Naked means lack. That's a negative. That means he was the positive receiving the negative. And then they covered, they ran, they hid, and they blamed. Guess what we're still doing? Hiding. Running, 
Well, covering, uh, running, hiding, and blaming. Well, if you wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have felt this way. Well, it's your fault because you blah, blah, blah. Well, I told you you didn't. How many times did I tell you this? Why do you keep beating this dead horse? Because it keeps kicking me. It ain't dead. How come we keep going around the same mountain? Have you ever thought that the Israelites were just kind of just a, just a tad slow? <laughs> did you ever think to yourself, I'll never be like them? Matthew 7 is real. Guess what? The minute we judged them, we became them. Never, anybody in here going around a mountain, round, around, round, around, round, trying to find this place of bliss and we just can't seem to find it and last it, last there? Let me tell you something. The reason is because our hearts are dying. If they're not dead already, they, they wax cold. Because after, this, this is the story with me and my husband. Let me get to the, the point of how I discovered this. After the, the year number 12, and we had the four years of bliss, and then we go back to now I'm like finding myself listening to other people's um, compliments. Now, let me just put your mind at ease, man. When I listened to somebody else's compliment, I was not looking for an affair, nor did I have one. But when a woman starts getting compliments from an emotional setting or an emotional need from another man, that is adultery. Do with that what you want, but I'm telling you what the Lord showed me. Why? Because emotions are sex to a woman. That's why. So if you're feeding another man sexual or emotional uh, stuff, you're actually meeting your own sexual need. That's a dangerous place to be. This is how I discovered it. I love to wait on people, especially people I love. And my husband I love. So if he would ask for anything, if I just thought he might want something, I'd love to fix. Do I love to wait, fix food? I just love, I have a little TV show, a cooking show. So one day I go in the living room, and I don't know that I'm eating out of a dumpster yet. I don't know that I'm drinking water out of a ditch. I don't know that I'm doing these things. I'm in a coma. I'm going in and out of consciousness. My heart's waxing cold. And I go in the living room and I ask my husband if he would like some avocado smashed on a corn tortilla, open flame corn tortilla, a little bit of salt, and I was going to make a sandwich. I want to know if he wanted some. He said, no, but I sure would love that avocado salad with that homemade salad dressing you make. And I said, well, okay, if you change your mind, let me know. And I went in the kitchen, smashed up an avocado, put it on my corn tortilla, salted it, ate it. Didn't think twice about making him a salad. Now, years ago... Before my heart getting waxed cold, buddy, I'd have been like, if I was out of avocados, I'd have ran to the store and got him some. But not that moment. I said, okay, if you change your mind, let me know. Didn't even know I was doing it. I was in a coma, emotional coma. So that night, I'm cooking supper, and I think, oh, yeah, he said he'd like one of those salads. I think I'll make him one. So I start taking out the balsamic vinaigrette and my, uh, my good olive oil and all my spices, and I think, hmm, I have wishbone in the fridge. Put all that stuff back. And I just pour wishbone because that was easy. Didn't, didn't want to be taken for granted. Now, I'm not thinking all this. I just, I'm on autopilot. I'm numbing, I'm numbing my heart out. And that night, my husband and I, in his mind, made love. In my mind, had sex. There's a difference. Big difference. And I recognized it for the first time in all those years of marriage. And I got in the tub and I needed a bath that the bath didn't work. Like no matter how long I, I sat in that water and I began to pray and I said, God, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling this? I'm married. Like this shouldn't feel dirty. What's, it, what's going on? And God said, your heart wasn't in it. And that's how I made you. 
Now go tell him what you did. I'm like, excuse me, God? He broke my heart. He shut it down. He refuses to deal with my heart. And I'm the bad guy? God, what are you, what are you doing? He said, you're not his Holy Ghost, Angela. I am. I told you before, when I decide to get a co-Holy Ghost, I'll send you the first application. I'm sure you're the first one to qualify. Now, I'm broken hearted and God is talking sarcastically to me. Some people say, God, don't talk like that. He does to me. I think maybe I'm just thick-headed and sometimes he's just got to speak a little bit more frank. Frankincense grows on a bitter cliff. Frank means to be truthful. So I get out of the tub and I'm like, God, if I, if I tell him I'm going to break his heart, what if he wants to leave me? He said, if you don't tell him, you're going to ruin your marriage. So again, I wait till the lights are out. We're laying in bed. I lay next to him. And I say to him, I owe you an apology. He said, what for? I said, because earlier this evening when you made love to me, I didn't make love to you. I was there. And I said yes, or typically, I, I, really I just didn't say no because I didn't technically say yes. I, he didn't ask. We just ended up there. But I didn't say no because I did not want to hurt his feelings. I didn't want to wound him. But see, I was wounding him by doing what I was doing. Because I was living a lie. I wasn't lying with my mouth. I was lying with my actions. Because I really didn't want to do it. And he said, why would you do that to us? I said, because I begged you. And I've said it every way I know how to say it. I said, but Michael, you care more about the scratch on your $45,000 truck than you do when you wound my heart. You talk to me sometimes like I'm a two-year-old. I'm not your daughter. You, a woman don't make love to her daddy. That would be creepy. You treat me not like a woman. You treat me like I'm a child sometimes. But yet you want me to act like a woman. Make up your mind. I want your heart. You say, I can't have it. You want my heart because it's connected to there, but when, now when, I, when I give you that without my heart, now you wonder why I do it. Well, I'm going to catch 22. How do I get out? I said, Michael, I'm still in love with you, but I work with women all the time that their husbands make their skin crawl. I don't ever want you to make my skin crawl. We, we need help. And I told him about the avocado and the salad and how I put wishbone. He said, I was wondering about that. That's not how you normally act. I said, well, I owe you another apology while we're at it. He said, what? I said, at work? When I come home and you say, just think if you apply yourself, everybody else stops in the middle of my closings and tells my customers what integrity I have and how kind I am and how wonderful I am and how, all, how they wish all their mortgage brokers treated their customers like me. And I sit there like a little lap puppy listening to it because I don't get any affection like that from you. I get criticism after criticism. I said, Michael, I can't even turn the light on correct. I have sat with people who while they passed food across the table, their husbands will correct them on how to pass something. Like she's too, like she's too stupid to pass food. Now, maybe I'm talking to you. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've done it unknowingly. 
Look, I, the first man that, that my husband and I worked with, and I laid my hands on that man's shoulders, and I put my hands on his feet, I wept. I literally, my knees buckled, and I hit the floor. And they asked me if I was okay. I said, yeah, just give me a minute, please. And they said, are you okay? I said, you may not look like it, but this is gratitude. She said, why is this gratitude? I said, because I've been praying for 25 years for men who would seek to know their heart and ask God to do something because I know all these women and the men are never there. The men just say, well, you know, go, you're the one that needs a counselor. I don't need a counselor. Or, or if you would, you know, you're just PMSing or, you know, and you know what women do? They go get on, on Prozac. They get on Paxil. They get on Ambien. They get on something to make their emotions numb. Why do they do that? Because they can't make love to you if their heart's broken and they're not taking something to numb out. And if they're not numbing out on that, they'll numb out on something else. Food, wine, alcohol, religion, prayer. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But if that's their escape to not deal with the truth, God says, because you love not the truth, I'll give you over to a strong delusion. You don't have to worry about the devil. Just have a strong delusion. That's all you need. Do you know what strong delusion means? Not sober-minded. It means to be drunk on lies and fear. Look, men, what we do as women is not fair. Let me tell you what we do to y'all. We make you our God. It happened in the garden. After they ate, as a result, the snake was cursed and the ground was cursed. But the Bible says that Eve would desire her husband and he would rule over her. I did that to my husband. My desire was for him and he ruled over me. And he worked with the sweat of his brow and did everything he knew to do right. And all he got was thorns and thistles in our marriage. In other words, he wasn't satisfied and neither was I. And no matter what he did, it didn't work. But do you know why that didn't work? Because he's not God. He's not supposed to be in that place of God. He's not the one that completes me. You cannot complete her. You cannot complete her. A man cannot complete the woman. Christ completes the woman. Christ completes the man. And a one and a one become one. Not a half and a half. And the two shall become one. See, once I got whole and I wasn't in lack anymore, I wasn't looking outside of myself for my husband to make me whole, I got whole. How? Because Christ kept dealing with me and dealing with me and dealing with me and made me realize that I had made my husband an idol. I put the responsibility on him for him to make me feel healthy and whole and emotionally well. That's not his job. And men, on behalf of all the women, I ask you to forgive us for doing that. That's not healthy. You will, you will fail utterly no matter what you do. You'll feel like a failure. You'll feel it all the time. You won't know why you feel it. You'll do everything right, but it won't work. Women, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're the inside part, and the inside part usually wakes up first. How do I know that? I say, God, why me first? He said, Angela, where did I take Eve from? I said, the inside. He said, what part do you wake up first in the morning when you're in the bed? Inside or the outside? And I was like, inside. I got to drag the outside out. He said, exactly. 
You represent the inside. Michael represents the outside. You're going to feel like you're dragging him along. But you're not. I'm his God, not you. And so what happened is I went from being codependent, groveling, needy, needy. I need you. I need you. Make me whole. Fix me. Fix me. Now, I didn't say that. I wasn't so obvious. But it was that disgusting. Then I went to Miss Independent. I don't need you. By God, I, I, if, if you can't treat me well, then you, we'll just be partners and we'll be married. We'll live under the same roof. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. That don't work either. Because see, divorce wasn't an option, remember? But that's what I call the independent B. That ain't healthy. It'll help you survive, women. Because it'll give you a little bit of control. But control and manipulation is as... Witchcraft. It's the same thing. And so I say, God, I don't know how, I don't know how to have this balance thing. If I, I'm either a groveling little, you know, uh, helpless woman who is needy, or I'm this I don't need you person. He said, Angela, when you know your identity, when you know who you are already. See, Eve ate from that tree. Do you know why? She wanted to be like her father. Guess what? She already was. She was already, they were already made in his image. They just didn't know it. In Malachi it says, in the last days God will restore the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. That doesn't just mean your daddy and you'll get along. Or your parents. It literally means God will restore you to who you are. To your identity. Do you remember Christ said, remember me? The word remember means male. The word appointed means female. Christ is our groom. Guess what he said on the cross? It is finished. Do you know what that means? It is my crown and glory. It is my bride. That was the consummation. God's not coming back for a marriage. He's coming back for a marriage supper. That happens after. It's a celebration. The marriage happened on the cross when the veil was torn. Why? That was consummation. That was the blood covenant. You have to suffer with each other to reign. You know how Michael and I began to heal? We started dealing with our suffering. We started dealing with our sorrow. There was a time when Michael promised he would dance with me. Michael don't like to dance. And the only time he would dance when we were dating is if he had a crown and seven. And as a Christian, he might drink a glass of wine on occasion. So I tried to slip him a crown and seven one time just to get him to dance with him. That was what's called witchcraft. <laughs> He said, I'm not drinking that. I said, I want you to dance with me. He said, Angela, I don't do that anymore. I said, that's false advertisement. You danced when we were dating. But what happened was I realized I had some old wounds in the area of dancing in my own heart where I had felt rejected. And one night when Michael and I went to a, a wedding, my daughter was standing in a wedding, and he didn't dance with me. He actually left early because a lot of times we'd go in separate cars because I like to stay late and he likes to leave early. He likes to say hi and bye. And he didn't dance with me, and he promised me he would. And when I got home, I was angry. Oh, my God, was I angry. And I, he wanted to talk about it. I said, talk about it. I said, no, don't beat a dead horse. This is dead. I got up, and I went to the back. And that wasn't like me to not talk about things and try and settle it. He, it was me to say, please, please, let's talk. And he said, I don't want to talk. I'm like, please, let's talk. He's like, I don't want to talk. 3 a.m., he's like, okay, let's talk. <laughs> Only because I wore him out, till, begging him to talk till 3 a.m. Been there, done that, huh? Yeah. 
So I went in my bedroom, got on my knees. I said, God, what's wrong with me? Why is this anger so inappropriate? Why is it out of balance? Why am I this angry that he didn't dance with me? He never dances with me. What's the big deal? Why am I hurting so bad? And he showed me my old wounds. And God said, now go tell Michael, you're sorry. Wait a minute, again? He broke his promise and I got to go apologize. Go tell him you're sorry for putting your offense that you had a long time ago as a little girl on him. Uh, see? What, what God does with him and how God convicts him is not my business. But how God convicts me is my business. And so I went and apologized to him. And I said, Michael, and I'm bawling. I mean, like, you know, I, my eyeballs are closed shut. And I got makeup everywhere. I look like Alice Cooper. <laughs> And I'm apologizing to him, and he thinks he just did something really bad because, of course, I just told him how awful he is, right? And he's thinking, okay, what's the catch? And there was no catch. The truth was I blamed him for my old sorrow. And after I got finished apologizing to him, and I said, I, you did break my promise, I mean your promise, but this amount of anger doesn't match, and this is inappropriate anger. I'm going to go back in the bedroom. And me and Jesus, we're just going to deal with this. So I'm in my room, I'm in my bed crying. Michael comes in there and he shuts the door. He kneels down by the bed and he asks me to dance. And I did not want to. I was heartbroken at what God had revealed to me. And I was an 11-year-old little girl at that moment. And I didn't want to dance with my husband. I wanted my father, heavenly father, to heal my heart. And that's what was going on. And in my mind, as he's asking me to dance, I tell father, I said, father, I don't want to. He said, you don't have to, but you'll reject his little heart the same way your little heart was rejected when you were 11. Do you really want to reject his little heart? I said, no, father, I don't. He said, I'll give you strength. Dance with him. So I stood up, and I buried my head in his shoulder, and we both wept as we danced in a little tiny circle. And I was that 11-year-old little girl all over again. See, that's intimacy. And we began to do that over and over and over. How often, as often as broken bread appeared. Eat this in remembrance of me. See, broken bread is the broken body of Christ. And my Michael and I are there as a mystery to unveil the body of Christ and the head, the bride, and her groom. And this is a life that we've been living for almost 31 years. And in 2009 is really when our marriage began to take off and bloom and blossom. It's only 2016. That's not that long ago. But one thing we never did is we didn't run from our sorrow. We ran into it. It was never fun. It never felt good. But one year, the year I was telling you about whenever I didn't make love to him, God told me to separate our bed for prayer and fasting. I didn't want to ask him to do that because, again, I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And he said, why would you want to do this? I said, I asked God why because I knew you were going to ask me and I didn't know the answer to tell you. So God told me to tell you this. And I don't know if it's true, but if I heard God right, it will be true. And I said, God told me that when I make love to you after we've gone through something, you think everything's okay, and I, I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking, I trust you again. Please don't break it. Don't break my heart. 
I said, do you really think everything's okay after we make love? He said, well, yeah. I said, a woman don't think like that. That's not how we think. We think, you broke my heart. I really did forgive you. I'm not bringing up all the old past. But I'm asking you, please don't do all that old past again. Then when you do the old past, I get blamed for bringing up the old past. No, you keep doing the same old thing. Please stop. And I've, I've asked you like 999999999 times. And that's why he thought I was beating a dead horse. Because it was the same mountain we kept going around. And I kept trusting him and he kept crushing me. And I kept trusting him and he kept crushing me. And what happens after you do that, men, long enough, she will no longer make love to you whether she tells you that or not. She'll have sex with you. She'll check out. I'm not going to ask women to raise their hands. I can just see the faces in the room. I don't ever have sex with my husband. I've done it twice. I do make love with him. Women and men, women be honest. Your husbands deserve honesty. Otherwise, you know what you're doing? You're prostituting yourself to your own husband. You're making peace. Well, actually, you're keeping peace. You're not making it. You're just keeping the turbulence down. You're, you've tried everything you know. You don't know what else to do. And you don't want a divorce and you want to be a good woman. So you give the affection to your husband. But you don't have any emotional affection. How do I know? Eight out of ten women are on Prozac, Lexapro, Xanax, Ambien. I'm telling you what I know. Last year I saw over 400 people. We have men coming in our house on a weekly basis, broken down, weeping, because their wives are saying, that's exactly what I've been trying to tell you for 30 years. I've been saying this, I've been saying this. Husbands, been, husbands they're telling you this. The problem is you can't comprehend it because it doesn't happen here. It happens here. So why do I want to teach this? Because I don't want you guys living a mundane survival mentality marriage. We're supposed to be the image of Christ and His bride. The Bible says the world will know that the Father sent the Son when they have loved one for another. If we can't love the ones that are our husband and our wife and we can't be passionately intimate, how is the world going to even want what we have? We go places. Like or not, we make them jealous. Why? Provoke them to jealousy, the Word of God says. It opens the door for me to talk to them about Jesus. I start talking to them about the real husband. I tell them that Jesus is Coke, my husband's Pepsi. God's a real thing. That's the truth, women. You want a good relationship with your husband? Marry Jesus, because Jesus won't let you lie to your husband. Jesus will let you blame him, falsely accuse him, or set you up as his, set him up as your God. Do you know how long it says that Adam and Eve would do that? That he'd work by the sweat of his brow and she would desire him and he'd rule over her? From dust you came to dust you shall return. Go look up the word dust and dust. It's not the same word. The first dust is bloody mud. Remember we said bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh? It literally means crushed bone into dust and blood. So it was dust and blood. 
And God made Adam muddy blood. The word Adam, the male counterpart, literally means ruddy. It was the same thing that, that David had, ruddy cheeks. It means blood in your cheeks. It means one who can still blush. It means one whose countenance is shown in his face. One who still has an innocence about him. David was a ruddy, he had a ruddy face. Adam meant ruddy face. It meant blood and mud. And then it says, and from bloody mud you came, and from dust you shall return, recover, be made whole. Wait a minute, that's not what I heard. Now, is the other one not true? No, the other one's true. You're going to turn into dust when your physical body dies unless Christ, you know, you get um, transformed here before you die. But if you go study that, I'm not, I'm not telling you something that I just made up. Go look it up. So this is what it means. I'll translate. You're going to have an emotional heart made out of clay. And then it's going to become dry like dust. And after it's been dry long enough, you'll return to the blood. What happens in a woman's womb when she prepares for seed? She has blood. And she bleeds for seven days. And every 28 days, she prepares again. That is a replica of what it means for the heart to bleed. See, every so many days, your emotions will go through a transition, a cleansing. Women... You'd, you've been taught, men, you've been taught to run from it. Now, men, whether you like it or not, you're a bride. That doesn't mean you have a physical womb. That's like, we get that part. We don't have gender confusion. But what it does mean is your spirit, man, there's neither male nor female, and you are the first Adam. You are the receiver. Christ is your second Adam. And then, when, just like when a woman gets married, she, she gives her name up and takes on his. See, I gave up my name. I give up my identity and take on my husband's. That's what Christ in me, the hope of glory is. But how is Christ in me if I don't even know I need him? Right? I need Christ in me, the hope of glory. I need to know that I need him. Well, if I think I have all the answers, I'm not in need. Well, ever so many days, you're going to go through an emotional cleansing. That's what we do. That's what humans do. Nancy came to live with me. That's one of the things I taught her. One morning I woke up and I could just feel the, the, what you would call anxiety. I don't call it that, but that's what most people call it. So I walked in Nancy's room. I said, you doing okay? She said, not really. I said, yeah, I could feel it. I felt it when I walked out my door. How could I do that? Because I've trained myself to feel my emotions and other people's emotions. And if you listen to the emotion, you'll hear things. Why? He who seeks the heart knows what the mind of the Holy Spirit is. Do you want to know what the mind of the Holy Spirit is? Seek the heart. Where did Jesus tell you to do? Seek the kingdom what? First. And God's righteousness. And then all these things will be added. And all really means all. So when I work with people that come in, that's what I'm seeking. I seek their heart. I want to know what's going on. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the emotions that are broken. People say, well, you can't trust your emotions. I said, you can't trust broken emotions no more than you can trust broken legs. But I don't want you to cut my legs off if they get broken. I want them healed. Well, Jesus is the king of the brokenhearted. And the word of God comes first to the broken. And then the Gentile. That means first your inside, then your outside. Do you know that whatever you manifest on the outside is because the inside has already declared it? That's Psalm 119. 
Heavens declare, oh, earth proclaims. What does that mean? The heart, the kingdom of God inside of you will declare something. It'll hold something to be true. And it will physically manifest in your body. I'll give you a couple of examples. I had a lady who came to me with a brain tumor. Very bottom of her skull, where the, where the skull sets on the spinal column, was a brain tumor. So I asked her, I said, tell me the name of the brain tumor, the, di the medical diagnostics of it, all the terminology, where did it start in your body, what symptoms did you have, blah, blah, blah. I looked all that up, and out of listening to the body, I told her, I said, um, I'm not really sure how this happened, but you lost your voice a long time ago, and you gave it to your dad. You surrendered your voice to your dad. She's like, oh my gosh, how do you know? I said, your brain tumor told me. See, heaven was declaring it on the inside. Her heart had declared it, but the body manifested it. And so she came to my house. I worked with her. We dealt with some issues. She goes to MD Anderson. They removed the tumor from her brain. And guess where it had tentacles and roots? In her voice box. MRI didn't show it. CT can't say it. Scan didn't show it. But the Word of God showed it. See, the Word of God goes all the way to the bone and the marrow. It goes deep. Men, this is good news for you. It's not easy. Michael and I didn't get here overnight. But we work on these issues every day. If something little comes up, we just deal with that emotional part of it. And we help that heal. And I, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm so crazy about him. I'm more in love today than I was the day I met him. And the day I met him, I was actually dating another guy. And I saw my husband, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm staring. Oh my God. Oh, I was freaking out. Well, the guy that I was actually dating was very abusive to me. But I thought I loved him, thought I was in love with him, until he tried to, tried to date rape me one night. That's what it took for me to wake up to abuse. And I actually prayed, and God helped me get away. I had to lock myself in a bathroom till 2 a.m. till somebody came and got me. While he's cussing me, saying all kinds of terrible things. And I think I'm going to marry this guy. He's going to school to be a, like, I won't say what he was because somebody might figure out who he is on podcasts, and I don't want to dishonor. Even, even though what he did was horrible, this is not a place to punish, you know, him for what he did. But he had, was a very good family. Was, there was no signs or symptoms of him being a bad guy. But then Michael became my friend. He fought for my honor. Do you know the man wouldn't even kiss me when we dated? I had to ask him to kiss me. He said, okay. I told him what terrible thing happened to me and how I was almost date raped. And I said, you really don't love me because you don't know what happened to me. Let me tell you what happened to me. And you know what he said to me? He said, you're still a virgin. You're still pure. I love you. And I will wait for you for forever. I melted on the spot. He loved me before I loved myself. He actually helped me forgive that man. Men, women are not looking for another man if she's not wanting you. That don't happen right away. When I didn't want to make love to my husband at first, he thought, what, you want another man? I'm like, heck no, if I don't want you that I'm in love with, why would I want some other creepy dude? Like, that don't make any sense to my mind. Why? Because that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about my heart. I'm not thinking about anybody touching me. Think about this. If I'm in love with my husband, if your wife's in love with you, and you're going through turmoil, 
and you think she's giving you the cold shoulder, and you think she's manipulating you with a cold shoulder, that ain't what happened. That's not what's happening. What's happening is her heart shut down, and she don't want you to make her skin crawl, so she's pushing you away. Why? Because God made her that way. It's like a built-in safety net for her to be faithful. Do you know in Romans it says that when we took the glory of God that was in us and we made it into a creature or a creeping thing, that we, we um, basically become, become idol worshipers, that the evidence of that would be that men would burn for lust with other men and that a woman, the women would have unnatural affection. You ever read that? You ever paid attention? Is that, is that where it says in Corinthians or Romans? Somebody help me out. Romans 1. So I studied that out. I'm like, okay, God, what is this? He said, Angela, think about it. When a woman has an unnatural affection, it's only when her heart's shut down. See, when a woman's heart shut down, she'll, do, she'll be with anybody, anytime. That's what's happening. That's what you see in a sexual revolution is because their hearts are shut down. Well, no wonder. Eight out of ten women have been sexually abused. No wonder their hearts are shut down. They need to heal. We, the church, should be the place they can come to to heal. We need emotional healing in the church, and we really don't have it. Let me tell you what we have. We have some emotional healing. Some, and some is better than none. But the, the negative emotion, that what I'm going to be teaching on Friday night and all day Saturday is the brain-heart connection. I don't have time here tonight. But that part of your brain can heal. And when it heals, it doesn't go backwards. You don't have to go in and out, in and out. I had a woman that I worked with, 17 years she was on um, antidepressants since she was 15 and a half. Um, suicidal, in the bed, couldn't get her out of the bed, lost 15 pounds in three months, and they thought she they was looking for cancer, all kinds of stuff. She was depressed, and her meds quit working. Somebody that never met me sent her to me, and I worked with her four times. Her doctor, when she went back to her, she's like, who are you? Off of all meds. She's on vitamin B and protandum to help her brain heal. She gave her um, something for anxiety to take on occasion if she gets in a really bad state. And I think she cuts it in half or something and it maybe takes one every other week or every 10 days or something like that. And I'm going to go live with her for three days. Why am I going to go live with her? So I can watch how she works in her own family dynamics. So I can help her walk through these heightened states of emotion that she don't know what to do with. See, if I just coach her over the phone, I can't see what's going on. But if I get in proximity with her, which is what I did with Nancy for 30 days, I watch how you're dealing with your emotion and I can see if it's healthy or unhealthy and then I'll show you a healthy way to deal with it. Why? Because when you do deal with it healthy, guess what happens to your brain? It gets chemically balanced. Your melatonin works, your, dop your dopamine works, your serotonin works, your all those things work. But let me tell you something. If the marriage is the core part that's not healthy, nothing else is going to be. If you're not married, don't get married till you deal with this stuff. If you are married, deal with it or it's already dealing with you. I want every man and woman to feel what I feel when I'm with my husband. I want that the body of Christ have what we've been promised. Abundant. It, it's not just physical. It's emotional. All right, man, let me, let me explain to you something else about the emotions. I mean, how do I verbiage? Is the little one still here? No? Okay. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk real frank because it needs to be. A woman does not need a man to have an orgasm. You know that. She can do it herself. She can buy it in a box. She can get paid to have sex. She can pay somebody else to do that. That's not what she's after. She's after a holy matrimony. A holy union where that is so natural and spontaneous that her body can't help but experience that. And like I said, I've only known one man. I was molested once when I was a little girl. Uh, the man that tried to date rape me I did get drunk one night shooting tequila. I never shot tequila. My daddy drank tequila, so I didn't think it was a big deal. It was a big deal. I passed out, woke up. He was doing things he shouldn't be doing. And I thought I wanted to marry him, so that's why I told Michael all the stuff. Look, that messes with you. But God can heal that. And God helped me heal with my husband. And what I experience as a woman with my husband, that's none of your business as far as any details, but I'm just going to talk generally because that's what the whole world seems to be after right now, either drugs or sex. Sex does not satisfy. Women can go from man to man to man to man and it won't satisfy. That's what Jesus told the woman at the well. The five men you have had didn't satisfy you and the one you got now ain't even your husband. If you want to please your wife, figure out the heart. You figure out the heart and the rest of the piece of cake. Why? Because that's where she feels freedom. Without freedom and without being able to let go, she can't experience what, where you want to take her. It's not fair. I've known, I've known one woman married 20 years, never experienced that. 20 years. Y'all, this is, this is a gift. Somebody's got to be brave enough to talk about it. Years ago, when I wanted to talk about it, my husband said, heck no, you ain't talking about that in front of people. I'm like, Michael, they, I cried because you, the women that I know, they don't, they've never experienced it. They, they, they don't understand what's available, what God has given us. It's holy and pure. Let me tell you the most, the most holy moment had nothing to do with sex. I was anointing my husband with oil, praying for him. And I heard God's voice. And I spoke what I heard. Now, I didn't know Michael was hearing God's voice at the same time. And exactly what I spoke and exactly what I did, God told Michael that he was fixing to do for Michael. The exact oil that I chose, everything was exact. Now, I didn't know it. I'm just praying over my husband. He's in a vulnerable position. He's laying face down. He's covered. He's not, you know, uncovered. It's not a sexual moment at all. But when he sits up, he looks in my eyes and he tells me what God said to him, when God said it, and how exactly what happened. And both, in a moment of time, we both, our eyes locked and we just wept in this presence of God that was just breathtaking. And to a point where my husband 
had to bow his head. He couldn't even look in my eyes any longer. And he bowed his head on my chest and we both just stayed there and cried. You know in the Song of Solomon it says, turn away? That's not the Shulamite woman. That's the husband saying, turn away, you ravish me. And what happened is the love that we were expressing with our eyes was so powerful that my husband bowed his head. And I asked him just the other day when we were talking, we were sharing a little bit, just like about what I'm sharing now, because the other stuff is just too private. It's, no, no, it's not something that you want to unveil to everyone. But I, why am I telling you this? Because it's available to all of us. And I asked him, I said, Michael, was that, was that the epitome of holy matrimony for you? And in a moment, we entered right back into this solemnness. And he looked at me, and our eyes locked again. He said, yes. That was the most holy moment. Why? Because God simultaneously spoke to both of us. We both heard him. We both responded. And our eyes locked and met, and all we could do was weep. There is nothing I would not do for my husband. You know, people talk about obeying God and reading the Bible and doing all these things. It makes my skin crawl. Nancy and I were listening to somebody recently and they were talking about how you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this other thing. And I bumped her. I said, you know what you need to do? Get smitten. Fall head over heels in love with Jesus. See, when you fall head over heels in love with Jesus because you're so intimate with him, he don't ask you to do anything that you can't say yes to. You, 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 you have to say yeah. Like, you can't say no. It's like, if Michael, I could be just dead tired. And he could say, baby, I'm hungry. I'm like, okay, baby, what do you, what you want me to fix you? I, I'd run to the store if he wanted me to. But guess what? He'd do the same. Why do we treat each other this way? Is it because, oh, we're so good? No, we're just as messed up as you. I tell people all the time, I say, look, if you, do, if you think I've got it better than you, you just come on over to my house in the morning about 9 a.m. I'll show you what's in my toilet. It's the same thing that you drop in your toilet every day. And it stinks. I'm no different. I'm no better than. We've just discovered something that we want to share. And that something is called emotional intimacy. And it's not easy at first. But when you learn the language... And you'll begin to step into this. There's nothing your wife won't do for you. And you will take her breath away. The thought of another man will make her skin crawl. If you don't hear me, you will make her skin crawl. I don't want a husband to ever touch his wife and make her skin crawl. I deal with it every week. I have a young woman right now. Her and her husband's been separated for a while. They've been to every kind of counseling. And the husband came to me, and I've been working with him. Nancy was there with the sessions. And they haven't had a real conversation in 13 months. And do you know that just last week, the wife called me and said, I'm ready. Can we get together? I think, I think I'm ready to see our marriage heal. Another couple married 13 years. The wife came to me. She said, Angela, I'm just sick to my stomach. Like, we make each other sick. We just tolerate, and we're doing all the right things. Everybody thinks we're getting along good. In the church, we look wonderful, but we make each other sick. She came to my retreat last, when Nancy came in last October. I worked with her three times 
and the husband one time. When I came to the husband's house to, to visit with him the first time, when I left, he really wanted to knock my head off. He just didn't tell me. He told me afterwards. But I was leaving to go to, to Ohio, and I had one day to spend with my husband. And this man had one day off. And the woman came over practically begging us. And I said, baby, what do you want me to do? He said, baby, you can't leave this couple. You've got to go. Now, my husband had one day with me. And he asked me to go over to help this man. Why? Because he's been in that man's shoes. He knows where that man's been. So I go over and I do an emotional shift with this man. He breaks like a baby. Cries for three hours. Can't console him. Don't want to console him. I want his brain to change. The next day he calls his wife from work and says, Something happened. I was dead. Somehow I'm awake. What happened to me? His boss treated him different. Called him in the office. His daddy he could never measure up to his dad. And all of a sudden his boss has a relationship with him and says, Son, I blah, blah, blah. And they start appreciating him. Why? Because his whole life he believed he'd never measure up and he never could measure up to anybody. But one day, an encounter with Jesus changes him and he goes to work and his boss appreciates him. That's only been since April. They are the ones that brought that other couple to me. And me and Michael worked with them as couples. She was sitting on the couch next to him. This is a man she couldn't stand to touch him. She's all snuggled up to him, got his arm. She's looking at him like this. Batting her eyes. I said, look at you. I said, what happened to you, girl? She said, oh my God, this is real, huh? She looked like she's on something. She was. It's called love. Y'all, their marriage was dead. But Jesus, through the heart of that man and that woman, transformed their marriage. And the woman's in love again. Every man should have this. Every single man should have the ability to touch his wife's heart to where he takes her breath away and the thought of another man. Let me tell you, me tell you how irritated I get if another man tries to mess with me. You know, my, my husband's honored in the city gates is what it says in Proverbs 31. I had two men at church used to come up and try to hug me and hold my hand a certain way that made me want to vomit right there in their face in church. <laughs> These are two godly men. I told my husband, I said, you know what? I don't like the vibe I get from these two people. I said, Sunday morning when we get to church, I would like for me to be in front of you, and just about the time they reach out to shake my hand, I'm going to step behind you and look over your shoulder. And when I do, I'd like for you to all but break their hand. And I'll be looking over your shoulder, smiling at them, so they'll know I told, told you. So we did that, and here they come, like two little puppies, one behind the other. And my husband shake their hand. Yeah, I'm listening for the crunch. I'm looking over your shoulder like, now hug me like that again, would you? So you don't dishonor my husband. Why? Because I honor him. He cherishes my heart. If you have that kind of relationship with Jesus, you think you're looking for an opportunity to sin? No, you're not. You're not looking for it. You don't need somebody to tell you to read the Bible. You know what I tell people? If you're not hungry, don't eat. 
Because only those who hunger and thirst shall be filled. If you read it out of duty, that, you need toilet paper is what you need. Reading it out of duty is not going to wake you up. It's just not. How do I know? I've done it. I used to stand on the edge of my bathtub. It's about this way. Because I was told that you had to pray for an hour. And if you prayed for an hour, that was like a big deal thing. So I wanted to be good and pray for an hour and I'd fall asleep every time I tried. So I thought, well, I'm going to stand on the edge of the tub because if I stand on the edge of the tub and I fall, I'll wake up. And that way I could last an hour. So I'd, I'd, get, I'd stand up on my tub and I'd get my Bible. I said, Father, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful. I'm going to read for an hour and I'm going to pray. I didn't get anything out of that. But misery. I did not fall in love with Jesus. I did not feel the love of the Father. Felt condemned. So how do we get people hungry? Introduce them to the love and the lover of their soul. And when you introduce somebody to the lover of their soul and their heart gets smitten, look, you can't help yourself. You will eat till you about to pop. You will just gobble up the word because you can't, you can't get enough of it. Me and Michael look for opportunities to be together. We spend hours, am I, am I telling the truth? Do we spend hours just talking and flirting and hanging out together? Yeah. Yeah. Nancy, yeah, you can, yeah, go, go for a walk, Nancy. You need some downtime. Don't you guys want this for everybody that you know? Don't you want it for yourself? I want it for you guys. If you had that, you wouldn't be worried about affairs in the church. You wouldn't be worried about whether somebody's going to make it or not. Is my life perfect? No. It's not. It's absolutely not. But am I crazy in love with my husband? Yep, Jesus is my husband. Crazy in love with him. And the image that he gave me, that's the mystery to unveil the marriage between me and Christ, is my physical husband. His name is Michael. And I am crazy about him. Absolutely, I am. Somebody tell me what time it is. Oh, goody good. This is wonderful. Um, would you guys like a potty break? Okay. Adam believed he was alone. And Eve believed that she wasn't like her father. And that if she was like her father, then she'd be accepted. See, it's the same lie we're in today. But Malachi gave a promise that in the last days God would send the spirit of Elijah to restore the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. That is why I'm here. This is the appointed time. Christ came at an appointed time and, and, and now the spirit of Elijah is here for the appointed time. The word appointed time means the time of the female. Isn't that interesting? Appointed means female. See, we've been diseased. And it's time for us to receive. To be received. When you are received, it means you have again seen the inside of yourself. See, you deem something and God redeems it. You surrect or you build something and God resurrects it. You skew something. Up and God rescues it. It's the word rescue. It's really what it says. So the problem is we get to the deemed part 
the surrected part and the screwed up part, but we never get the re part. And it's time we get the re part. And you know the word are is the same as I am that I am, as in we are, I am, we are. You hear are is a, I don't say I are, do I? I say I am. So are is the plural of I am. And when you figure out that you are already like your father, you can say I are, we are. And then the letter E is God. E and E-L together is God. So to be or to re-see or to wake up to your identity in Christ, the hope of glory that's already in you. Isn't it cool how all these words are right there in front of us and we just haven't seen them before? Like, that is just the coolest thing. Nancy and I would be walking in the day. We'd get up every morning and we'd exercise. Well, we'd drink a coffee and then we'd eat and then sometimes not. We'd do it the other way around. But we would exercise every morning and go for walks and we'd bring the recorder and we wouldn't turn the recorder on until the Word of God came. And then once the Word of the Lord came, we'd turn it on. And we'd, there were things that would come out of my mouth I'd never heard before. And I was like, oh my gosh. And like, that's so, she's like, have you said that before? I'm like, no, I never heard it. But it's so cool because that's where the kingdom of God is. It's already in you. And when, you, when this stuff starts happening to you, you just hear God in everything. At all times. Do you know why that's true? Because he's omnipotent. He really is. Like, then it doesn't, if you think about it, if we ask for God to come, or if we ask for more of God, or God, I need you, where are you? Like, God's not lost. And God really is everywhere at all times. How is it at all times? Because he's past, present, and future, and he's omnipotent. So name somewhere God's not. It's not possible, is it? It's not possible. Okay. Let's talk about intimacy with Jesus. Now that I got your attention, right? Being intimate with your spouse. Because that's just there to unveil or reveal true intimacy. Do you remember Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the light? And then he showed the way, and Peter tried to keep him from going the way, and he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, devil, and watch. He actually said, Satan, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't saying, I rebuke you. He was saying, Peter, get in position at an angle where you can learn from me, where you can observe. And I'm going to show you the way of suffering. Now, why would Jesus want to show the way of suffering? So you know that Jesus could have died for our sins and that would have saved us from hell? Right? Because it's the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of sin is suffering. So why did he suffer? Glad you asked. He suffered to know you. That's the whole purpose for suffering. Let me be specific. This is for the women. If this happened to you guys, we, we feel you. But mostly this happens to women. How many women have been in their bed at night with their husband? And you don't have to raise your hand, just think. But you've been in bed next to your husband... And you're wanting to talk about healing or whatever's going on. You want to share your heart. And he's sleeping. And you've done everything you could to get him to talk. But he's just got to go to work tomorrow. And he doesn't want to talk. And so you lay there and you cry. You're broken hearted because he's sleeping while you're broken. Like, does that like not happen to anybody else but just me? 
Yeah, is that true, women? Yeah, it's true, isn't it? So men, you don't know this, but we're laying there next to you guys thinking, how is this possible? How can this be the man that I love and adore and I have babies with and I've been married to him X number of years and I'm broken hearted and he's sleeping? My best friend called me four times yesterday because she felt my heart through the airwaves. But the guy laying next to me is a zombie. How is that possible? Because the heart is not awake. The emotions... See, men are taught from little bitty fella, what's wrong with you if you cry? Big boys don't cry. What's the matter with you? I'll give you something to cry about. So we learn not to cry as men. Men learn to be angry. Or to not be angry because whoever they were around was so angry they don't want to be like that, so I'm never going to be angry. And I have no anger zero ever because I don't like anger. That is a lie. Every human has anger. It's what you do with it. So if you had an abusive person in your life that screamed and yelled and hollered and hit you, you probably have vowed, I'm never going to be angry. So you become very passive. And then you become passively aggressive. But you're never angry. Yeah, right. That's a lie. So when you are laying in the bed and your husband's asleep, guess where Jesus is? In the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood while his friends sleep. That's real. How did I learn that? Because one night, or one day, I was in the Tetons, and my husband was out in the snow. It was June 3rd. How do I remember it was June 3rd? Because it don't snow June 3rd in Louisiana. So if it, if it snows anywhere on June 3rd, you remember it. We just thought some fog moved in over the Tetons. And I was like, look at that. They got, that's foggy, huh? Well, the next thing I know, fog was falling on the ground, and we made snowmen out of it. <laughs> and it was that big around. Well, as they were kids were out there. My two children were playing with my husband. I'm sitting inside where it's all warm and cozy in my blanket, drinking some hot chocolate and coffee. And all of a sudden, I get this turning in my stomach. And I'm like, God, what is that? I'm happy. I'm on vacation. My kids are smiling. They're all having a blast. I'm watching them. I'm warm. They're cold. They're loving it. I'm loving it. And I'm like, what is this feeling? And the Lord said, that's Shay. She's brokenhearted. I said, Shay? 2,000 miles away? I'm feeling her? He said, yeah, call her and check on her. So I pick up the phone. I'm like, Shay, you are? She said, no! <laughs> Tells me all her stuff. So what do I do? I weep with her when she weeps, and I rejoice when she rejoices. So I was there for her emotionally, because that's what women do. So not far removed from there, I'm at home. My husband and I are going through this dead horse thing. He thinks the horse is dead. I think it's still kicking. I want to talk about it. He don't. My marriage is falling apart. He's sleeping, and I'm laying there next to him. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Um, I love Shay, but I'm not in love with her. We don't have two kids, and we're not intimate, nor do we want to be, but I can feel her heart 2,000 miles away, and the man laying next to me, like, of course, we're like, way apart in the bed of total of what four feet as far as we can get and he can't feel my heart how is that possible how can I feel Shay's heart 2,000 miles away but my husband four feet away can't feel my heart that didn't compute that's like being in Montana and feeling the fireplace at home and Michael being at home and being right in front of the fireplace and can't feel it called numb. 
So I'm crying in the bed. Well, I wake him up. I've tried it a million times. It doesn't work, right? So the Lord says, come go away with me. So I get up and I go into the living room and I, cu- I curl in a fetal position on the couch and we cover it with a blanket because I'm in so much emotional pain, my bones hurt. My chest bones are hurting because my marriage, I told you all that, how we separate our bed, all that. I didn't tell you all the days that led up to it, but this is one of them. And so my, my, my chest bones are hurting because my heart's broken because I can't get my husband to understand we're falling apart and he don't even know it. And I said, God, why am I, why, what is happening? What is going on? How is this possible? And all of a sudden, I'm in a vision, like full-fledged vision. My eyes are open. I'm not dreaming. And I see a rock, and I see a garden, and it's mostly dark, and I see Jesus step out of the darkness. And he said, this is so tonight when your husband sleeps, you will know I know you. You've never been alone. And he goes over to his three friends and he says, my hour is upon me. Could you pray with me just one hour? And they, yeah, Lord, we can pray one hour. And he looks at me. Tears streaming down his face. He already told me this moment. He said, this is so that you'll know I know you. He walks into the garden and I see him walk into the garden. He's weeping and he steps out. Tears are now mingled with blood on his garments, and he said, I understand what it feels like when Michael's sleeping and you're broken. I know you. Now will you know me? Will you run from this? Will you ask Father to rescue you from this, or will you stay in the garden and weep with me? My friends didn't weep. They fell asleep. Will you weep with me? Look, that is intimacy. That's where Jesus' heart and my heart did this. Now you think I felt better at that moment? No. I was crushed. I was grieving. I was gagging. I was in so much pain. My body was revolting because I saw my Savior not just die for me, but suffer with me, not just for me. With me. Do you know what a woman really wants more than anything else? For her husband to know her heart, to understand how she feels. And Jesus stepped in a vision and said, I know how you feel right now. And before the foundations of the earth were laid, I asked my father, see Angela there, you see Michael sleeping? I want her for my bride. Father, let me suffer whatever she suffers. If he's going to sleep, then don't let anybody stay awake from me. Make sure, Father, they fall asleep. And when I beg, and even if I sweat blood, don't answer my prayers, Father. Don't let my cup pass. If it won't pass for her, then don't let it pass for me. And he goes in two more times. Comes out on the third time, and I go in with him. And we weep together. That is marriage. That's intimacy. See, I had to suffer with him if I'm going to reign with him. Do you know what happened after I got out of the garden? He looked at me tenderly and he said to me, Angela, when you stand before Father one day, and he asked you, who taught you such wisdom? 
to know my heart in the garden. Whom shall we give a reward to? What is your answer going to be? And tears streaming down my face, I said, my husband, reward him. Because had he had not fallen asleep on me, I wouldn't know my Savior's heart in the garden. And mine was a thimble compared to what he drank. Just a thimble. See, I learned to be grateful for what appeared to be my enemies. Why? Because my enemies were actually my greatest teachers of suffering. And if I don't suffer with them, I can't reign with them. I didn't get this information by studying a book, including the Bible. Jesus rebuked him. He said, you search the scripture for you think you find eternal life in them. I did that. But you know what I found when I did it that way? I found more law. I found more rules. I found more things to do. I didn't find intimacy. I found intimacy in my broken moments. I found it in rejection. I found it in false accusations. I found it in abandonment. I found it in insignificance and neglect. I found it in all those things that you hate, that I hate, that my body hates. Do you know that Esau gave up his identity just for a bowl of soup so he wouldn't be discomforted, so he wouldn't suffer? And God said, Esau have I hated, but Jacob have I loved. Why did God hate Esau? That didn't make sense to me. That's his son. You can't hate a son. What he was saying is, I hate the attitude that says, give me anything to get me out of pain, but don't let me suffer. Here, take my identity. Let me wear a mask. What mask should I wear so my husband will like me? Do I wear this mask, that mask? What about the church? What if I wear this mask? Then will the church love me? How about my family? How about my hometown? What must I wear so that I won't be rejected? See, that, that right there is Esau. Jacob was so bound and determined to get his heritage and keep his identity that he lied, cheated, and ran. And God could do more with that than someone who refused to suffer. If you suffer with me, you shall reign. That's where the key is. I am telling you the truth. Every time me and my husband suffered together, we had a new level of intimacy, a new level of reigning, a new level of ruling together. And the very thing we run from is suffering. Do you know that when Joseph died, not Joseph, Isaac, when Isaac died, Isaac is the father of Jacob and Esau, right? Yeah. When Isaac died, Esau refused to grieve and Jacob refused to be comforted. Once, not only did he refuse to be comforted, he went to the threshing floor with all of his servants and his animals and mourned and grieved for 30 days. While Esau tried to avenge himself looking for his brother so he could kill him. Why? So he could feel better. Do you see a pattern? That's what we do in our marriage. We want our husbands to make us feel better. We want our wives to make us feel better. That's not the way of the cross. It will not work. If you don't believe me, keep trying it. Have you ever seen Yoda? There's no such thing as try. Either do or do not. 
I said that one time and somebody rebuked me because they said Yoda's not real. I was like, oh, darn, you mean his Mickey Mouse not real too? <laughs> the saying was real. There really is no such thing as try. Either you do or you don't. Do you know what happened to Jacob after he came to restore himself to his brother? He, re- he turned around and came home to make restitution to his brother. God changed his name to Israel. He went from liar, supplanter, trickery to Israel. Israel. Do you know that Iran is still trying to kill Israel? Yeah, it is. Iran is still trying to kill Israel. See, lies are still trying to kill truth. Running from the truth is because you love not the truth I gave you over to a strong delusion. Don't look at what you can see. Look at what you cannot see. That which you can see is temporary. That which you cannot see is is eternal. So Iran trying to kill Israel is trying to show you that when you run, you're trying to kill the truth. Face your truth. Get real. Guess what happened at that place where he wrestled with God? He walked funny. It was called, the place called Peniel. The diencephalon has a pineal gland in it. Pineal, it's the same word. Pituitary, pineal, thalamus, hypothalamus, and amygdala. And the diencephalon, oh, I mean diencephalon. You hear that? Diencephalon and diencephalon, same word. Is that crazy? That all these words reveal truth right in front of us and we can't see it? What was the, uh, the word that, that the Lord gave me the other day that had to do with the word her in it? Do you remember when we discovered that the other day? We found it in so many places. Oh, well, it's not coming to me. Must not must need to die so it can bring forth fruit. Did you know that? Remember I was talking to you earlier? I'm, I'm, going, I'm jumping around, but that's okay. That's what I do. Um, remember I was telling you earlier how there's no such thing as lack? And I, and I told you that if you could rejoice in all trials and tribulations, that you would be perfected and have patience, and then you'd have no lack. Well, if you fake that, it don't work. So if like you just put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that won't work. And you're still going to have lack. So how do you get to a place where you can rejoice in all things? You can rejoice in your marriage no matter what's going on. If you could see that every seed that dies is really a harvest... And if you could see that every division is really a multiplication, if you could see that, you'll automatically rejoice. It's not an action that you do. It's a spontaneous result of what you saw. So when, when Jesus was underneath, uh, I mean, when Nathaniel was saying, you know, what good thing could come from Nazareth, right? And Jesus saw him, and he said, uh, oh, Nathaniel, in whom there is no guile. Now, we've been taught that that was, you know, call those things as not as though they are. We've been told that that's what that's all about. That's not what happened. He did do that. But what happened was Jesus heard his father. Because he don't say anything unless he hears the father say it. And he don't do anything unless he sees the father do it. So he heard the father say, this is the one in whom there is no guile. That's why he said it. That's the only reason it had life on it. So if we, when you're in the moment and somebody's criticizing you or you have division... 
division in your marriage, division in your family, division in the church, division at work, division any kind of way, if you could say, Father, show me the multiplication. And then you see it because you heard it and saw it. You can't help but get excited and rejoice. So I'm going to do a little side note here. I'm going to give you a little taste of Friday and Saturday. Do you know that we are made in God's image, right? And so if we're made in His image, that means we're just like Him, right? Do you know that everything is from you, for you, and back to you? Cool, huh? I thought that about Father, but I didn't know it about me. Well, here it is again in Scripture. As a man thinks, so is he. Guess what a thought does? Sends out a vibration. Numbers 23, has God thought it and shall it not be? So whatever you think on, you actually bring to you. Now, it can't be the things that you choose to think on. That don't work because that's frontal lobe. There's no heart in that. It must be in the diencephalon. So you can't change that like without emotion. So if your heart's dead, that ain't changing. So you can change this all you want to and you can name it, claim it, and that's why it don't work. But whatever you believe you shall have, guess what's in the diencephalon? Your endocrinology. Your hypothalamus, your thalamus, your spleen, your pancreas, your um, thyroid, all those, uh, the female organs, the male organs, all that's in your endocrinology. Guess what endocrinology means? Your belief system. How cool is that? And that's controlled by the thalamus. That part of the brain, the diencephalon part of the brain I'm talking to you about. It's where the emotion and your belief connect. So if I tell you God loves you, but your daddy abandoned you, guess what you really believe in your dying self alone? That you're abandoned. No matter how much somebody tells you, no matter how much you believe it, where you believe two plus two is four, you know the word of God is true, but you still feel abandoned. Why? Because your amygdala hadn't been changed. You know in James where it says you ask what you ask amiss, and no matter what you ask for, you're not going to get it anyway because you're double-minded in all your ways, tossed to and fro? That's because your limbic brain believes one thing and your, your frontal lobe believes another thing. You've got to get them in balance. They've got, they got to be yoked together unless two walk as one. So that's why you can believe that God loves you right here and believe right here that Daddy abandoned me and you'll draw more men in your life that will abandon you. That's why as a little boy you can believe that you never measured up to your dad and no matter how good you are in your job, your boss will never see that you did a good job because you believe nobody ever sees what I do good. You believe it in your amygdala. And even if you know it, you could, they could put it on a billboard. But if you believe you're not appreciated and you're not valued, you will draw a boss to you that won't value you. Why? Because you're made in Father God's image. Whatever leaves you is from you, for you, and back to you. So why would God do that? Is it He's punishing you for believing a lie? No. He refuses to leave you in a lie. He will not let it stop until what? Till you wake up to the truth. Because when you see the truth, then you'll see God loves you. And when you see God loves you, you'll know all things are for you. When you know all things are for you, you trust all things. And when you trust all things, there is no lack. So see, God loves you so much, He created you in a way that whether you like it or not, truth is going to come to you. Even if it's to wake you up from believing a lie. And that usually comes in pain. So if you keep having reoccurring pain in the same area, it's because you've already believed a lie and you're drawing it to yourself. 
Let's talk about the word father for a minute since we're talking about we're made in our father's image. The word father is two words. It's fat her. Fat her. What's the major difference between a man's woman and a, uh, a man's body and a, and a woman's body? Muscle mass and fat. That's one of the differences other than the anatomy. Right? The woman's <coughs> body is curvy and fat. I don't care how much a woman works out. I don't care how muscly she is. Unless she's flexing that muscle, it'll wiggle. I'm telling you, my husband and I, when we were dating, we were both so buff. We worked, we worked out five days a week. We both ran. Look, we were chiseled. That man didn't have to flex anything and it felt like a solid rock. Like he looked chiseled to me. Me, I could work out all day, run, I'd have an ounce of fat on my body. But you could touch it and it would, like, do that. <laughs> but I'm not. See, I got a little muscle in there, but, but my body's not made muscly. It's soft. It's got fat. Right? So fat means lover. Fat does a few things. Let me take, talk to what fat does. You make soap out of it, so it cleanses you. Two things belonged on the altar, fat and blood. It belonged to God, not to man. Fat covers your body to insulate it. Fat covers your body to give it extra energy when it needs something, like to run from a tiger or a demon or whatever. Right? But that's what fat does. You know what happens when you have too much fear? You get a lot of cortisol and adrenaline. Your brain gets poisoned and you get a tummy. We call it a cortisol belly. I can look at somebody's physique and tell you how scared they are and where they hold their, their weight, what they're really holding on to. So the word fat means lover, one who loves, one who gives. Look at the female body. The breasts give. It's mostly fat. When her belly gets all big and fat, what is she doing? Giving a baby. The estrogen makes her hips round. Why, does, why is a man attracted to that? Because subconsciously he knows that he can produce his seed and get a heritage. You might just think because it looks good and it may do that to you, but that's not what's really going on. That's just part of what's going on. So fat means love or lover. Means love, period. All the things that love does, fat does. Her means her. It means receiver. Receive her. Receiver, receive her. Receive her. Hear the Eve and the her part? They go together. Right? If you're diseaved, or what about the diseave her? The diseaver. You hear that? So father means a lover of her. And guess what? You can't be a father unless you have a her to love. Right? That's what it's all about. So Father literally means one who is a lover of the one who's void and in need. And the first Adam is in need. What's he in need of? A Savior. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Why? Because that person becomes a member of Christ and they become married. And he's a lover of her. He did what his father told him to do. He didn't do anything unless he, did, unless he heard his father. So the word father in and of itself, the way it's made, literally means a lover of her. 
So man, that's kind of creepy because you're not a her, like a female her, right? Like the physique. But what are you? You are a receiver. Think about it like electricity, right? If you have only a positive charge, do you have any light? No, you've got to have a negative. You've got to have a void. You've got to have both. And do you know that you are both a giver and a receiver at all times? That's why the Word of God says there's neither male nor female in, in the Spirit. Because, see, my eyes are givers and receivers, are they not? They can give you a message. Right? Just by the way I look at you. They can give you information. But they're also a receiver. They're receiving light and darkness at the same time. Do you know if my eyes didn't receive light and darkness at the same time, they'd be blind? If I had all darkness, I'd be blind. And if I had all light, I'd be blind. So I've got to have a balance of the positive and the negative or you can't see. Does this make sense? Your ears are receivers. Your nose is a receiver. So the head in and of itself is a receiver of what? The brain or the father or that part of us. So Jesus is our head. He receives. And what does he do? He gives to the body. Right? Because that's what the head does. The head gives all the information to the body. And the body does what? Gives a reply. Correct? Isn't that what's going on? So do you understand that my, the way my, head, my information works is a giver and a receiver? Also, my body itself is a replica of male-female. What, what part of me is male? The giver part of me, the outside part of me. What does it do? It gives shade. It gives direction. It gives protection. It gives food. It gives a covering. See how my outside does all that for what? For my inside part. If I don't take care of the inside part, it will die. So what is the female part of me? My inside part of me. The part of me that receives the food, the part of me that receives the air, the part of me that receives the sound, the part of me that receives the light. That's the receiver part. So you see how we really are all both male and female? And so what God is saying is, men, the way that you are the bride is knowing that you're not self-sufficient, that you need God. And what do you need God to be for you? The head. You need him to be your eyes. You need him to be your ears. You need him to be your, your discernment. You need him to be everything that the head is. Um, remember we talked about earlier that um, Jericho means perception. Did I say that to y'all? Anything about Jericho? Okay. Oh, well, let me teach y'all that. Okay. Um, remember we, I said that Canaan is the marriage land. It means humility. And I told you the Jordan means the abyss or to die or hell. And you've got to cross through hell to get to the marriage land of humility. And that's where the land is flowing with milk and honey. But the very first battle that they had to overcome was Jericho. Now Jericho had a wall around it. It was as tall as it was deep. So if you knocked that wall over, guess what? It was still the same height. So it had to be crushed. And sound or a shout is what crushed it. The word Jericho, or let's, let's say this, they couldn't take any spoil from Jericho. Do you know that other battles they thought they could take spoil? But not Jericho. Had to kill everything. Every man, woman, and child, all their animals, and don't take anything from Jericho. So I wondered why that was. Why was it that they could take from other places but not Jericho? So I looked up the word Jericho. It means perception. Do not take anything from your own perception. There was no room for Jesus in the end. And there's still no room for him in the end to let. 
See, the intellect is not the diencephalon. The intellect is where you figure things out. It's your reasoning. It's the very same thing that David cut off of Goliath when it said he cut Goliath's head off. If you go look that up and you study all the words and study all that, how it literally means that David cut off his own intellect. Guess where Goliath's head's buried? Golgotha. Guess what Golgotha means? The place of the skull. It literally means the mind, the thinking mind, the one that, that thinks, the one that makes reasoning, but not the subconscious. The subconscious is a different part of you. The subconscious is where you believe you're loved or not loved. So when it says, trust the Lord your God with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding, acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll direct your path. So what that really is saying is saying, trust God with all your emotion. Don't figure him out with your head. Lean not, um, acknowledge him in all your ways. What is all your ways? All your emotions. Acknowledge God in all of them. All of them? Yes, all. Remember when I felt re rejected and alone when my husband was sleeping? I acknowledged God in that. Where did it take me? To a vision in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, if I'd have ran from that, which is what I was originally doing, I'd have never had that vision. I'd have never got the revelation. I'd have never seen Jesus sweat blood. I would have never wept with him and comforted him as he comforted me. I wouldn't know him like that. See, that's to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Uh, John 17, 3 says eternal life is to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And that word know doesn't mean like, hey, yeah, I know, I know who you are. No, it means Adam knew Eve and bore a son. It means intimately know someone. So in order to be the bride of Christ as a man, how do you do that? Does that ever like just perplex you a little bit like how you're a bride? My husband said, Angel, that's just creepy. How, how's, that, how's that work? Well, this is how it works. Remember the veil was ripped? Remember I told you hymen means the same thing as veil or holy place? Well, that, those are just replicas of the real holy place. They're not, those are, we're not going to have marriage and that in heaven. We're going to have this kind of marriage, the eternal kind, the kind you can't see. Remember that which you can see is temporary, but what you cannot see is eternal? So the eternal marriage is exactly what happened when I saw Jesus weep by himself and they were sleeping. And I tasted the same thing when my husband slept and I wept. See how that's the same thing? Anybody in here ever, uh, anybody lose their mother to death? Anybody's mama die? My mother's dead. Okay. So those of you whose mama is still living, do you know that you can't understand me? You can imagine what it feels like to lose your mom, right? But until the day your mom dies, you don't know. That's what it means to do this emotionally. That's intimacy. That's the same. That is intercourse in the heart. It's the same thing as intercourse in the body. So what is intercourse? Listen to the word. Enter, as in to go in somewhere. Like open the door and enter. Chorus, voices. Not just any voices, but voices in harmony. That means two voices that see, hear, and understand the same thing. So to have intercourus is to enter in on the inside and have the voices equal the same or to be in harmony. So you lost your mother, I lost my mother. We could hug each other, not say a word, and our voices on the inside would be in harmony. That's intercourus. So when you look at it that way, it has nothing to do with sex, does it? Sex is just an outside expression of what intercourse looks like, and it's so beautifully formed and fashioned by God that that's how he procreated children. And God's saying, look, if you can have that with each other, you'll see dunamis power. Remember I told you I was going to tell you about some miracles? I'm going to show you all some miracles that comes through emotion. 
Like they really do happen. Paul said that I don't just come in word only, but in demonstration. Right? With dunamis. Remember, you've got to have a positive and a negative to have power. Okay? Well, same thing. Male and female, you have a baby. Positive and negative, you have light bulb. But guess what? There's a positive and negative in the heart. Like rejection and acceptance. You see? Those two have to hit each other or have to come together or you can't understand. You cannot really understand acceptance until you've been rejected. You cannot understand uh, um, um, love until you've tasted death. You can't understand despair, I mean hope, without despair. See how they have to have a counterpart? That's literally what the word bride and groom mean. It means counterpart. It means opposite. It means duality. It means positive and negative. They're opposites. Look at the word opposite. O-P-O, sight. Now, you know what the word sight means, so let's just look at O-P-O. O means full understanding. It means, oh, it comes from the, the shape of an eyeball. It means to see all sides. P means the O with a vav. A vav means man. So it really means the whole sight of God in man's body. When man sees through God's eyes. That's what P means. Then O means sight again. So you've got God's sight of that which is good and, and, and in man and that which is evil. You've got both ability to see light and darkness. Remember God says even the darkness is light unto me. So you've got two O's. You've got double O and one P. One human being trusting that God will give you the past, present, and future. That which is seen, that which is unseen. You trust him to give you the revelation in your body. And that is real sight. And you only get it through opposites. You only get it through duality. You only get... I am my husband's counterpart. My job is to, is to bring out the worst in him. Why? Because it's there. His job is to bring out the worst in me. Why? Because it's there. It's called the land of humility. Is that a bad thing? No. You don't want to stand before God with pride. You want humility. That's actually the wedding garment. So when a man sees that he's the bride of Christ, it doesn't have anything to do with anatomy. All it has to do with is that you are a receiver because you understand that your brain, is you can't take spoil from here because it's like Jericho. You can't rely on it. You can't lean onto it. So what do you do? You go into your heart. Angel, are you kidding me? No, we're called the helper. We're helping you out. You got to get back into the heart because that's how you see with your eyes. Jesus said, do you still not see? Is your heart still hard? Do you still not hear? Is your heart still hard? That's how you see and hear God in conversation. My husband used to think I was nuts when I told him God talk to me. He said, Angela, God don't talk like that. I said, maybe not to you. But he wants to. But you know what he, he says to me now? He came in uh, in the beginning of the year. He was trimming all of his trees. And he came in and he said, oh, baby, does God ask you questions? I said, oh. <laughs> Hearing God, are we? You mean he's talking to you in sentences? Oh, Angela, come on, tell me, does he? I said, baby, where do you think I get all these questions from? I was walking in my front yard one day, not long ago, and I was looking at the leaves on the ground. And God said, you want to know why? I mean, he said, do you know why I call those leaves? No. Where are you, Adam? Do you, do you know why I call those leaves? Obviously, the answer was no. 
But God asked me the question anyway. Why? To get me to wonder. Why? So I wouldn't miss it. Don't miss the mark, the wonder, the sign, all that. He's the God of wonder. Why? He's wonderful. So he, had, he made me wonder. Do you, do you know why I call those leaves? I'm like, no, God, why do you call them leaves? He said, because they leave the tree. I said, oh, like real original, God. God's really funny. He loves to make us laugh. And he said, that's why I told you that the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. Angela, everything that leaves you will heal you. Whoa. Now that was the revelation God has given me. Wait a minute, God. What did you say? Everything that leaves you will heal you. God, why did my mama leave me? Why did my daddy leave me? Why did my husband leave me? Why did they abandon me? Because everything that leaves you will heal you. See, if humans didn't break your heart, you would trust that humans are your answer. So humans come into your life to let you down. At least you trust in a human. That's why my husband couldn't fulfill me, because I would trust in him. I'd still be trusting in him. I would have never sought God. But his job was to let me down. Do you know that my mom, all the things I wanted her to be, that if she would have been those things, I wouldn't rely on the Holy Spirit? If my daddy would have been all the things I wanted him to be, I wouldn't rely on my Heavenly Father. And if my husband would have been all the things I wanted him to be, I would not rely on Jesus. So everything that leaves you empty will heal you. So what do you do with those leaves? You eat them. What does it mean to eat them? Accept the bitter herbs that life has given you. Why? Because if you believe that anyone else other than God gave you life and is in control, you will wrestle and believe the lie. And you will never believe God loves you. You will always be fighting the devil. God said it's finished. Finished really does mean finished. Do you know when Daniel, on the 21st day, when Prince Michael helped Gabriel to overcome the prince of Persia, does anybody know what Persia means? <coughs> it means perception. How do I know that? Because I looked it up everywhere and I couldn't find it. And I said, God, I can't find it. He said, I hid it. It's not there in plain sight. I said, then show me. He had me look up every single letter in the Hebrew. And it led me to man's perception. The prince of Persia is overcome in the 21st day, guess what year we're in? The 21st century. Three measures of seven. And all of a sudden, the message is here of how to overcome the Prince of Persia. Who helped me? Prince Michael. That's my husband's name. And my son. How did that help me? Because their leaving me woke me up. Persia today is called Grisha. Do you know what that means? Logic. So your perception and your logic will stop your prayers from coming true. But the prayer comes, the answer comes the minute, even before you ask, it's already on its way. But if you believe you are rejected. I was going to say we need to find a way. Okay.
Yes, and that is great. It's a great spot to end. That if you believe and lean under your own perception, you actually will have exactly what you believe. If you believe you're rejected, you'll have it. But if you believe you're loved, there's no such thing as lack. How do you get it in there that has to go in through the diencephalon? It cannot go in through your frontal lobe and through reason and intellect. So I want to thank you guys again. It's so fun to come and do this. This is my passion. This is what makes me tick. And so um, we're going to go ahead and turn this off.